yesterday evening around dinner time, I looked out the back window of the rectory and captured this view of the rising full moon. The Pesach moon, the Passover moon. For a couple of centuries early in our tradition, local Christian communities would rely on their Jewish siblings to tell them when Passover was to begin. And in doing so, that would help the Christians set the days for Holy Week and Easter. It's just another symbol arising out of the natural world that lays on top of many symbols that become important to us and to our Jewish siblings this week. These are symbols to help us do one very incredibly important thing as people of God, and that is to remember. What is it exactly that we are called upon to remember this Holy Week? For those of you who have family connections with the Jewish community, you may have already, or you may be in preparation, getting ready to celebrate Passover. To remember that primordial story that Christians and Jews have remembered for thousands of years, the story of the Exodus, of being set free from bondage and slavery and a system of oppression and violence. This remembering echoes through the scriptural tradition. We remember again the story of exile when the first temple was destroyed and the people of God were taken into captivity in Babylon. A story that reforged the tradition immeasurably and gave yet another window into the struggle of God's people over and against tyranny and the powers of this world. Powers that work through violence. And yet again, to remember being scattered late in what we now call on our calendar the first century, when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans and the second temple was torn to the ground. The people of God, both Jewish and Christian, were scattered, having lost the heart of what they thought was God's kingdom, having to reinvent themselves and to struggle for the future of what their tradition would be and who our spiritual ancestors would become.
As a Christian community, we remember this day and also this week, an image that some scholars and historians regard as mythic, if not history itself, and that is the tale of two processions into Jerusalem. One of them would have been very familiar to us. A man on a great steed, perhaps Pontius Pilate himself, with a legion or two at his back in armor. The Romans and their great occupation of much of the Mediterranean brought about a peace but it was peace at the point of a spear or the edge of a sword, or you might say a peace bought with the bodies of the thousands, if not tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people who were crucified along the roads. It was a peace brought about through violence. Early Christians would benefit some from that peace, but also suffer when persecution came along. Our Jewish siblings much the same way. It's a procession that was familiar to us because we know we still live in that world brought to us, you might say, by the Romans and recast over the centuries by various forms of empire, systems and cultures of violence that keep the peace by sacrificing human life. It's the other procession, the one we just remembered, that is counterintuitive to us. And that is the procession of Jesus, and the crowds of Judean and probably Galilean peasants laying down branches and cloaks, welcoming him into Jerusalem, like you would welcome a king, but Jesus didn't have legions at his back and didn't ride on a great steed, but on a humble animal, a colt. A messianic image that wasn't quite right, even for his most intimate followers. The Messiah was supposed to march into Jerusalem and throw the Roman bums out, after all. Instead, this is a Messiah who embraces not just death, but a shameful death. Who confronts not just the sacred system of violence that was at the heart of the Roman occupation, but the sacred violence that was held by sway by the temple elites, at least in Mark's telling. Jesus' self-offering is a messianic image 
that never has quite sat right for us. If you take anything away from my reflection this day, it doesn't sit quite right for us because it is not meant to sit quite right for us. Mark's telling of the passion is in part designed to help us remember that God's people have suffered at the hands of the oppressive systems and cultures that we all inhabit. Even in the church, the way that we treat one another and the natural world too often as expendable. That our grasping for power and control often means we have to violently sacrifice others to maintain that. The people of God remember this week together that this is the reality of our lives. And as a Christian community, we see that reality embodied in the life, the flesh and blood of Christ offered. And we even go one step further. We say this is not just the offering of a first century Galilean Jew, but the offering of the divine by God's self to our systems of violence. It is meant to make us uncomfortable because it is meant to help us see what is really going on in so many aspects of our lives and to begin to pick up another vision, another dream, God's dream. God's dream of a kingdom, of a society, of a community, of a family, where there is no violence. where human life and the life of the created world is held as sacred because it is made and beloved by its creator. Where we resolve our differences peacefully, where we do not lord it over one another, where we embrace the divine life that has been planted in each of us and in the world around us. This day is different to echo the ancient tradition. And what makes this day different is that we remember that God's dream for us has not yet been realized. And yet it knocks on the door of our hearts with hope.
in the Eucharist that we are about to celebrate, and yet none of us will be able to partake, we are reminded to remember Jesus' words. I will not again drink the drink of the vine until I am again in God's kingdom. That hope for us as we await for the restrictions of pandemic to lift, as we grieve our honored dead, as we grieve with the people of Virginia Beach and Boulder and Atlanta and Myanmar and everyone who has suffered at the hands of the system of violence that we all inhabit just this past week. looking for that day when violence is set aside and a new order begins, an order based on peace, goodwill, common respect, and that commandment above all commandments that we love one another. What wondrous love is this, O my soul, O my soul, what wondrous love Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.